0: And let's give the Lord just a round of, a, of applause right now. For those of you watching us via Facebook Live, we apologize uh, for the worship not being completely on, but we were able to get it on towards the end. So, uh, And I just love I was reading some of those comments as we we're trying to get everything up and going. Uh, someone said, we don't need to hear uh, to worship God. So there, I'm, I'm sure that person was at home worshiping, reading the lyrics. So, so praise God for that. But I want to go on ahead. Thank you, Diana and the team for uh, worshiping uh, with us and allowing us to get right before uh, the presence of God. Amen. I just have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, The first one, the first one is uh, ladies, if you're listening, if you're watching us online, go on ahead and just type. I'm listening. Any ladies here in the house? (laughs) Normally that was normally that was loud. We even had Printer issues, man, the devil is trying to get the upper hand on today, uh, this whole weekend, but praise God. Um, and so we have, one of the most important things for us to be doing right now and to be able to be focused on is a fellowship during this season that we find ourselves in. Um, and I'm so, I'm very, very excited as we know that we meet here on Sundays, but not all of us are, are, are meeting inside the building. A majority of our congregation is still watching us. Uh, via online, Facebook Live, and it's hard sometimes to really get back, get, get into that mode of, of fellowship. Like, you know, we see each other, those that come here on Sundays, but for the others, we don't get to see each other. So um, before the pandemic uh, began, uh, my wife and I, we were sitting down and we were starting to speak to, to different uh, leaders, to different um, uh, people, volunteers that were willing to work and do some great stuff. And uh, one of them was we were starting to uh, just make some plans with our women's ministry. And we had uh, Liz Pagan, uh, which was, um, I have her here as Liz Pagan. Liz, I'm sorry if I got the wrong the last name wrong. Uh, but she was really going to start heading up our, our women's ministry and, and starting to do some things. She was starting to do some plans. And then two weeks before one of the first events is when we uh, had to stop because of COVID-19, uh, but she's reached out to us, and she is actually spearheading a ladies' night of fellowship and fun is how she is listing it out. So it's going to be on Zoom. Uh, I'll read to you what she said. I mean, she said, let's Zoom together, ladies, all right? On Saturday, the 19th, uh, which I think it's this, this Saturday, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. for an evening filled with prayer, games, paper snowflakes, and Christmas karaoke. So that sounds fun. I might try to... You know, go on ahead and crash that a little bit to sing some karaoke, um, and so. But we're asking because we don't have everyone's email to be able to uh, send this link out to them. We're asking that you that you would go on ahead and email her so that she can send you the link. We will also try to have this uh, via Facebook Live as well, uh, but you'll be able to uh, um, email her at liz l i z pagan p a g a n twenty seven at gmail.com and once you go on ahead and send her an email uh, notifying her that you're interested in partaking in this event she's going to go on ahead and send you the invitation uh, for the zoom link all right so ladies we've got some fellowship coming along i hope that you guys can partake of that Uh, the other thing as you guys know we uh normally at this time we would collect of our tithes and our offering Um, right now we're just specifically trying to focus on doing it online Uh, And we talked about our switch over to push pay, which is a lot safer and a lot quicker to give. Uh, So thank you for those of you guys who are giving that way. And uh, if you are a regular giver that has not transitioned into our new system, all you got to do is uh, go on to our website or you can text uh, NL Mount Claire to 7797. And then it will go on ahead and help you get started in in the same uh, way. Uh, In that same matter, as far as going online and or typing in that keyword to the number, we're also giving of our Christmas offering. We spoke about that a little bit uh, last week, and so to contribute to that fund, remember that's a separate fund, that's a separate offering, it's, not, it's uh, above and beyond what we normally give of our regular tithes and offering. we're asking uh, for the help of all of our congregation uh, to make sure that we go on ahead, we know that last, this year has been a, a very difficult year Um, Lots of people's finances were impacted, including the finances of of the church if we're being transparent. And so to make sure that we transition well into this next year, New Life Mount Clear, since I've been here for the last seven, eight years, we have always counted on a strong Christmas offering so that we can go on ahead and transition well financially to kind of give us a nice little pillow on how we can continue to do ministry into the new year. And if there was ever a year that we needed help, uh, it's this year. Uh, And so we ask that if you consider this to be your home church, or even if you don't, but you say, hey, I want to contribute to the work that happens there at New Life Community Church, Mount Clare. All you have to do is text NL Mount Clare to 77977, or you can go online, and when you do that, under our campus of Mount Clare, you'll be able to select uh, the Christmas offering Uh, And we're trying to, our goal, a goal is always something that you set high and you try to get. We're trying to uh, collect $10,000. We feel like if we can do that, we can go into the new year strong enough where we don't have to think about cuts or anything of that sort, but we can continue to focus on the mission of Jesus Christ. And so next week we'll have an update on where we are at as far as our goal. Amen? All right, well, let's go on ahead and get to the meat of the day. And that's the word of God. We started last week our sermon series. It's a new sermon series that is titled, Dwell, God With Us. And uh, we had our elder, our elder, uh, Jose Gonzalez, go on ahead and open it up. He he must have known. Somebody must have tipped him that I was going to mention his name because he ran out. Uh, So let's give, if you're at home or you're here, let's give him a round of applause for uh, stepping up and... It's not always easy to try, to go on ahead and start off a series, because uh, that really helps set the tone, uh, but he did a great job, and what we're talking about, this is a, believe it or not, it, it, you know, it's kind of, uh, we've shaped this dwell, God with us, to a Christmas series. Normally, sometimes we'll go on ahead and we'll focus on uh, on Jesus and, and his birth, and, and focus on that for the whole month, but... But this time, it's a little bit different. We're talking about God dwelling with us. When you think of a dwelling, you think of maybe a home, right? Um, When we think of home, many of us think of a place or a space to live. But finding a home in God's presence cannot be contained. Our dwelling place with God is so much more than a building that has doors, a building that has windows. And so this Christmas season, uh, we want to remember That through Jesus, God came to be with us. And so together in this sermon series, we're going to see how God meets us where we are at and how he welcomes us into his presence, which is our true home. You see, because God's desire from the very beginning has been to dwell with his creation. That has been his desire from the very beginning. Throughout scriptures, we see that God did that. And so that's why we're presenting this series to you because I, we want you to see and to realize that from the very beginning of the Bible, when you open up the very first pages, you may say, I don't see nothing about Jesus there, to the very last page that you finish reading and if you've completed it, congratulations to that, now do it again. We've seen through that, that if you really pay attention, you find God in a garden, which our brother Jose talked about last week. You move a little bit more in the Bible, you see God in a tent, which we're going to talk about today. Then, next week, we're going to be talking about God in a baby. Now we've moved over to the New Testament, and then at the very last book of the Bible, we're going to talk about seeing God in a city. All that to say, since the very beginning of time, God's desire has been to dwell with this people. What I love about this is that our God is not some God that just sits high and mighty and wants nothing to do with us because we're so imperfect. Our God created us, as Brother Jose said last week, in his image. Our God created us in his image. Why? Because he doesn't want nothing to do with us? No, because he desired to dwell with his creation. The first week was about creation, Elder Jose talked all about that. About, he talked of a place in which God's presence fully dwelt with mankind. But then something went wrong. Right? Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 talk about God creating the world, creating everything, creating mankind, and, create, and starting to establish a relationship with them. But something went wrong. Have you guys ever seen... I don't know. I hope we have some of these pictures. uh, Architecture gone wrong. Sam, Give me a thumbs up if we've got pictures queued up. All right. Sounds good. Well, when I think of architecture gone wrong, one of the things that pops up into my mind is this one. Let's put up picture one. Um, This is what I see, what I think about when I think of architecture gone wrong. And it is um, the Tower of Pisa. If we get it up, we'll throw it on there, but I'll continue to go the Tower of Pisa, many, many of us know it as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You guys know how, how that happened, right? You guys know how the, the, the tower t- went on ahead and tilted over? How many people here know? A little bit of history. Well, the way I see it, uh, I got, there it goes, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I feel like a professor today. There's going to be a lot of pictures. <laughs> Far from one, but the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Well, in my mind, the way I see it, because this is the way I saw it from a source, is that one day uh, Caesar was standing there inside of uh, the, the, the Tower of Pisa as it was just built. And they were celebrating and they were going on ahead and just, uh, uh, just celebrating the, build the, the building of it. And then, and then they delivered a pizza from little Caesar's. And as Caesar goes on ahead and opens it, they say, hey, pizza here. And everybody that was on one side of the tower goes towards Caesar to grab a piece of pizza and the tower leaned over. Is that the way it happened? No. Well, that's the way the Little Caesars commercial, when I was a kid, showed it, so I thought that that's what happened. The reality is, although it was a pretty cool concept, and that's what I tell my kids. Construction in this leaning tower of Pisa began in 1172, but it wasn't finished until 199 years later in the year of 13 and it it began to sink, the reason why wasn't the pizza, but it it began to sink because of the soft foundation that it was built on. And it continued to sink and lean over little by little over time. Talking about architecture gone wrong, right? In 1998, they actually had to put some lead counterweights. I had a picture, but I didn't include it in in, in the slides. They had to uh, put some counterweights to kind of help it until work was continued to be done all the way up to 2008 and that's when it was finally deemed to be no longer sinking if we're talking about architecture gone wrong we could talk about creation gone wrong genesis chapter 3 gives us this image of creation gone wrong when you start reading the bible like okay man god creates this he creates that he creates man from dust he he goes on ahead and, and creates uh, you know, Eve from the side of, of, of Adam, and now they have fellowship. This is all good, but then we see that come to a screeching halt right away. Genesis 3 gives us that image of creation gone wrong. But the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is that is not the end of the story. Because God creates this garden for what? To dwell with his creation. And things go wrong. Things go sour, and they go sour really quick, and God has to kind of evacuate. He has to send eviction notices to everyone in that garden. But then later on, once again, God does something. God creates once again an atmosphere in which he can dwell with his people. Why? If he kicked everybody out, why doesn't he just say, I'm just staying in heaven, I don't want to do nothing to do with these people I created. He does it because he desires to dwell with his people, with his creation. In the beginning, he did this in a garden. And today, we're going to see how he did this in a tent. That's right, a tent. And this is not your ordinary tent that you can go on ahead and pick up at your nearest camping world. Not sure if that even exists. But this was a tent that was designed by the designer of all creation and to kind of give you an image we're going to put another picture on there picture two, sam to understand though this tent in which god goes on ahead and 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 kind of creates this heavenly blueprint for moses to understand the importance of this tent we have to first grasp how is it that we got from the garden to the tent I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap of what Brother Jose already kind of said and how is it that we get to this next time, this next point. That's a good picture, a good illustration of what is called the tabernacle. That's what we're going to be focusing on. Brother Jose talked about how God created the garden to dwell with his people. Today we're going to be talking about how now he goes on ahead and creates this tabernacle, this tent to go on ahead and dwell amongst his people. See, God is a God who brings things. He brings order to chaos. We talked about in the beginning, right? In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, the formlessness and and the description of the deep, they were images of chaos. But when God spoke, when God spoke into the formlessness, creation happened. The earth was birthed, and with it, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was, as he said, it was a it was a special, sacred place where God's presence dwelt. Where, where God could literally walk. Think about this. In that garden that God creates, in the very beginning, God walks in this garden and he interacts with his creation. He interacts with Adam. He interacts with Eve. God dwelt with them. To understand the importance of the garden, you've got to understand the relationship. And that's what us, that's what the beautiful thing about our God is, that he desires a relationship with us. So many times I would read this passage as I was growing up and I always thought, this is so beautiful. How Adam and Eve can hear God walking in the garden. How they would speak. So many times, as I, when I was young, I would desire, "Oh God, I wish I can, I wish we can have conversations the way you had with Adam and Eve." That's how special. That's how special it was. They would hear that 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 presence of God in there. It remind it reminded me as I was putting this together, and so many times, you know, when when I'm getting home and. And I take out my keys and I start kind of rattling them to, to open the door. The moment that door creaks open and they can hear my keys because my kids know, dad, you're like a janitor. You got so many keys. And as soon as they hear those keyer, keys, uh, my kids, specifically the youngest one, the other ones have kind of grown out a little bit unless they want something. But they go on ahead. And as soon as that door opens, the first thing I hear before I even put a step into the house, I hear my youngest daughter say, daddy. And she runs towards me. To give me a hug. You're home. That's the relationship that God had with his children in the garden. They can hear him coming. Daddy's coming. Dad's coming. He literally walked with them. But if Genesis 1 tells us a story of creation, then Genesis 3 tells us all about its destruction like, man, that story didn't last too long. That relationship didn't last too long. God gave them an entire beautiful world to experience. He tells Adam and Eve, listen, you can look at everything you have. You're the master of this. You, you can have it all. You can go where you want. You can do what you want except for this one thing. He told them the consequences that would happen if they did that one thing. Yet as we know, I'm not going to spend too much time into this, we know that they did that one thing. And sin at that moment goes on ahead and enters the world with its ripple effect of consequences. Everything that we do in life, church, has consequences, whether they're good or bad. Every sin that we do has consequences. And now we see from Genesis 1 and 2, we talk about the creation and the relationship between God and his creation in Genesis 3, we see now the fall of man, the, the, the destruction of that. And now through Genesis 4 and 11, we're seeing all the sin that, that, that is bringing chaos into all of the creation. We see right away the issues with Adam and Eve's son, Cain and Abel. We see the wickedness that is happening with, throughout all the people during the times of Noah. We see the people going on ahead and trying to create this, this tower, the Tower of Babel. The effects of sin beginning to penetrate into people, beginning to penetrate into their families, beginning to to, to really start to penetrate into their communities. The consequences of this sin became real. And at that point, I could only imagine, man, Adam and Eve, this is not in the Bible, this is just me thinking as I read, saying, boy, we had it. Listen, no matter what you're going through today, no matter how far it is, if you're watching me online, how far it is that you feel from God. Know and be confident and encouraged by this is that God still, as long as you have breath in your lungs, desires to dwell with God desires to be. Maybe you said, man, I used to be in a relationship with God, and it was so intimate. I would speak to him. I would read his word, and I could just feel his touch. But, Pastor, man, this this pandemic happened. Man, I have drifted away. I don't feel the same anymore. Listen, God still desires to dwell with you in the same way he did when you first met him. But from Genesis 12... And on, we see this promise. We see that God is working his plan to restore humanity. He says, man, my, my, my creation messed up. They jacked things up. But he still starts to show his plan. It all begins with a promise that is made to Abraham, that a great nation would be made through, through him, whom all people would be blessed and would be impacted by. And we go from, so we go from a couple that, A people that are in the Garden of Eden to a nation that now becomes enslaved, then rescued from Egypt to a young nation that is now wandering through the wilderness. Not yet to the land that God had promised them, but learning from him what it means to be his I love this because God could have, once, once once, he uses Moses to get all of the Israelites out of uh, being enslaved by Egypt, he can instantly take them into this promised land. But listen, he says, listen, I've got to give them a, le- a lesson, a-, a-, a one-on-one lesson on what it looks like to be my people, what it looks like to depend on me. So he takes them through this wilderness to learn how to be his people. And I want you to listen. I, I-, I want you to listen to this because many people get get discouraged by seasons in which they feel like they're walking in a wilderness. But I want to tell you something. It's in this wilderness in which things get real. It's in the wilderness that many times we get tempted because we don't know where we're going. We don't, we don't, we, we're not at peace. We're not at this happy place. And so anything that looks good, anything that sounds good, we kind of decide to try to make that our God. So we get tempted with that. It's in the wilderness that we need to be focused on the truth of Jesus and his word. It's in the wilderness that God shows us that apart from him, we are nothing. It's during those seasons of wilderness that if you pay attention, you begin to learn what it means to be his son or daughter. And it was in this exact season of wandering. That God goes out ahead and says in Exodus chapter 28, verse 8, he says this. He says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and show all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show. So here goes another opportunity in which the people are going to be able to have the presence of God directly dwelling in their presence. Another shot. God initiates this project and he guides it. This was a heavenly Blueprint. There was no earthly architect for this. All there was was Moses listening to God's instruction on how to build this. You know why? You know why they, although man built it, man could not create it. Why? Because this was a, a copy. It was a replica of the things of heaven. Everything that we're going to talk about in this tabernacle is going to be is going to be symbolic to something that is found in heaven. And so that's why God is telling him, "This is the way I want you to build it." The tabernacle, that picture, we could put it back up, picture two, it was a portable tent, a portable place of worship for the Israelite camp. That wasn't just a tent that just stood there. And I'm going to get into a little bit in detail of what all these, thing, these things meant and what they signified. But they would, you would have the tabernacle right there, right there in the center. And, and, and every time they got up and God said, listen, it's time to move. Then they had to pack everything back up, and they had to move it. And then eventually, once they decided, God said, okay, settle here. They settled there, and they would rebuild it right back in the center of the camp. It was a portable tent and a portable place of worship for the Israelite camp. But it wasn't just another tent. It was something deeply special about this place. Just like the Garden of Eden wasn't just another ordinary garden. Imagine that you're a part of this big mass of people and you're traveling through the wilderness. All you see is mountains and things of that sort. And when you stop, when you stop, the priest would go on ahead and set up the tabernacle in the very center of the camp. Why in the center? So that everybody could see. The tabernacle was a tent approximately 15 feet wide by 45 feet long. It was surrounded by a tall fence, enclosing an area of a little more than 10,000 square feet. And in this tabernacle, there were three parts. There were three parts to the main structure. That was everything that was inside of that fence. The holy place and the most holy place, or as others say, the holy of holies. These two, the holy place and the holies of holies, were the central part of this tabernacle holy means set apart so these places were set apart they were different than others because when you come near here what was happening when you would come near that tent you were coming near to something special And each of these different rooms they were made uh, with draperies of royal purples and blue symbolic of heaven and then inside of the holy of holies so inside of this tent, there was two rooms. You had, you, you, you had the, the, the holy place, and then you had the most holy place, or the holies of holies. That was towards the back of this tent. In there, in there is where the Ark of the Covenant was located. I think we've got a picture of that. You could throw a picture for Sam. In their house, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a small box. It was about three Quarter foot long, it was two and a quarter feet wide by two and a quarter feet high, and every inch was covered in pure gold. Pure gold, its cover was called the mercy seat. So, actually, as you're looking at that picture there, the top part where you see the two cherubim angels that was one piece along with what they're sitting on that was called the mercy seat, and that's where the atonement for the nation's sins were made. We know that the Bible says. That without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. So the high priest would have to go in there and, and have that sacrificial blood and throw it there on the mercy seat, pointing towards forgiveness and protection over sin. The ark held the copies also inside of there of the covenant that God had made with Israel. The Ten Commandments were in there. I think we've got another slide there. No, maybe I didn't say, yeah, there it is, okay. In there we see the covenant that God made with Israel. It showed that the covenant was maintained by his faithfulness and by his promises. The ark was the most potent symbol of God's presence in the tabernacle. It was literally, the Bible describes it, as the footstool of his throne. To come to the tabernacle then was to come To the throne room of God. No one could enter this room but the high priest. And that was once a year on the day of atonement. That was the the holy of holies. That was the the most special room. That's where where the presence of God symbolically dwelt. And then the second area of the holy place, which was, uh, again, divided just by some, 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 some curtains, some drapery. Right outside of that was the holy place that was separated by uh, the holy by holy, it was separated by a thick veil. The priest would perform daily rituals within this holy place. So that in the holy place was what once he would go back into the tent, there was that veil that covered the holy place and the holies of holies. Daily he would go into that holy place and make rituals and different things. The priest would perform these things. And then in that same room in the holy, in the holy place, that his job was to keep the menorah going. It was a large lampstand, and we have a picture of that—picture six. Uh, la- a large lampstand that was made of solid gold, and it was like it was like tree-like. and even had the the Bible even describes it as having points and tips, uh, signifying branches and buds. It would bring ever-present light into the room and represented the life-giving presence of God. Also, the job of the, uh, the priest was in that same room. He would tend to the table of the bread of presence in picture seven. That table was a three-foot-wide table that was overlaid with gold on which had 12 loaves of bread on it. Those 12 loaves of bread represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It pointed to the provision of God, but also to the ongoing intimate relationship established. By his covenant. Now that was inside the tent, the holy place, and the holies of holies. And there, only the only the priests and the high priest could go into. Outside of the holy place, we could put back that image, uh, Sam. That has um, oh, you can go to picture eight. Outside the holy place, in the holies of holies, was the main courtyard. So right in there. So right in this picture, inside of the, the of that fence was called the. It was the the. Um, the, the, outdoor, the, the gate yard, the courtyard, I'm sorry. And so while only the high priest could enter into the holies of holies, and only the priest could enter into the holy place, well, any Israelite could go on ahead and enter into the courtyard. So anyone, as long as you were there in their camp and you were an Israelite, you can go into, just like you see those people there, and this is not obviously real, this is a replica, but they would be able to go into that courtyard and begin to to make whatever maybe uh, prayers or sacrifices that they felt like they needed to do, and they would lay it up there on that brazen altar. That altar right there, uh, that was, or some people would also call it the bronze altar. It was a seven and a half feet square and four feet tall, and it was covered with bronze, and they had horns there on all of the corners. Leviticus uh, chapters 1 through 7 explains all the different sacrifices which normal Israelites could bring to offer God into worship. So they felt like, man, I've got to bring a sacrifice. I've got to do something. They would go into that that, that bronze altar, and they would make that sacrifice there. And once again, any of the Israelites were welcome to go on ahead and enter into that courtyard. And there's so, so much more into every single artifact that we would have to really do like a 12-part study on it. But really what I want you to do, I just wanted to kind of tell you the significance of what each part had. Again, an example of God wanting to dwell with his people. But I want to take you to what would happen once it was set up. And to show you that, we'd have to go to the book of Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Once it was set up, this is what would happen. Then the cloud covered the tents of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. Let's put uh, picture nine. That was, this is a drawing, an illustration of what that might have looked like. You see all the people encamped around that tabernacle, and you can see... The fire by night, and it was it was that cloud during the day. And as long as it was over the tabernacle, when it was, a, a, it, they would not move. They knew that God didn't want them to go. They had to stay where they were at. And the moment that it lifted up, they said, "Hey, it's time to pack up because we've got to move." This is a great example, and this is something that I've I've tried to live my life by. Me and my wife would always say when we would pray, we said, "Listen, God, just like Moses did, we don't want to go anywhere unless you're leading us." This was a great example. Now, God no longer was just telling Moses what to do, but the whole, all, everyone can see that when the the cloud and the fire lifted up, that it was time to go. They can see the presence of God. They may not have been able to necessarily hear him like Adam and Eve did, but they can see him. him. They They can feel him. God once again showing that he wanted to dwell with his people. cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night, the continual, constant presence of God in their midst guiding them. Let that be our prayer, church. God, would you guide me the way you guided the Israelites there in that wilderness? Because right now, right now, many of us feel like we're in some sort of wilderness. A lot of us during this season and this time, we feel like, man, we are in a season of wandering. We don't know what's next. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. Life doesn't seem anywhere near to what it looked like before. And so now more than ever, church, now more than ever, we need to be a people that say, God, I need you to guide me. I don't want to go. I don't want to move. I don't want to do anything unless I know you are directing me. God's presence, church, was with me. Even though they did not deserve it, even though they kept turning their backs, because obviously this doesn't work to the point where we're going to see next week that now Jesus has to go on ahead and take his earthly, his his robe of majesty sitting right there next to his father, and he has to step foot and become man to be with us. But this is why he wanted them to build the tabernacle. This is why. Because he wanted to dwell among them. He wanted to be right there in the center where they can see him. Remember, Adam and Eve's sin, they destroyed things in Eden. And people were removed from his presence. Remember? You got to go. You got to leave. And the Bible shows that there was now two angels with fiery swords there in the gates of the garden so that no one else would be able to go in there. But here, here, church, with the tabernacle, is a great example of how God continues to pursue us, how God continues to love us, how God wants to be with us just as he wanted to be with them. And this is why the tabernacle is so special because by creating it, listen to this. Some of us say, well, the Bible, there's just a bunch of things all over the place. No, no, there's a pattern. By creating the tabernacle, God was recreating Eden. Peter ends, goes on ahead, and he says this. To think of the tabernacle as an act of cosmic recreation is precisely what the building of the tabernacle originally intended to convey. In fact, seven different times, church, while giving the instructions for the tabernacle, the text gives the same phrase, the Lord said to Moses. The first six mentions, it's about the building of the tabernacle and it's about the furniture that's going to fill the tabernacle. The seventh time, it introduces the Sabbath. The repetition is meant to take us back, church, to God speaking about the six days of creation and then establishing the Sabbath. Tremper Longman says, as one walked into the tabernacle, He would be symbolically transformed from an earthly location to a heavenly one. There's a song, it's in Spanish, and I love it. And I was listening to it while I was putting the sermon together uh, by a good worship uh, singer. And it just talks about, it talks about, Lord, take me into that place. Take me into that holy of holy place. I want to dwell in your presence. In Genesis, we saw God creating a garden in which he placed humanity, and then he walks amongst them. And now we, see, now we see God having humans doing the making, right, building the tabernacle in which he places himself in, and then he invites them to come near to him. In establishing the tabernacle, he was also foreshadowing what Jesus would do when we look at the tabernacle, when we look at certain things, we see that he was actually showing us what Jesus would come and do later on. In John chapter 6, verse 35, remember when I talked about, we showed you the bread of the loaves, right? We showed you, uh, uh, we showed you uh, the, the lampstand. In John chapter 6, verse 35, this is what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he talks about that light. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That light was there so that there was always light inside of there." He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As we're looking at that holy place, we're seeing what Jesus came and actually did. Hebrews talks about the tabernacle and and how it points to Jesus as well. In In chapter 9, 1 through 10 of the book of Hebrews, he mentions all of the parts that we just talked about. And then in verse 11, he says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that priest being Jesus Christ, but when this priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, was that sacrifice that he made on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Thank the Lord. He was that sacrifice. Jesus comes down and becomes that sacrifice. And I'll get into this a little bit more later on. But now there no longer needs to be a sacrifice for our sins. As he built the tabernacle to show them his desire to dwell amongst them, he sent Jesus to show us the extent of that desire. And so just as God dwelt in the tabernacle, church, God also dwells in us when we trust him. That's what that passage clearly states. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Remember when we were talking about financial stewardship? Saying that, hey, our finances, all these things, they don't belong to us. We're stewards of them. We're managers of them because God has given it to us, so it belongs to him. Well, he's saying your body is not your own either. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know what I love about this? Is that when we come near to God, church, trusting in Jesus to restore our relationship to the Father, then from there on out, when we make that choice to accept Jesus Christ in our heart as, my, as our Lord and personal Savior, you know the beautiful thing that happens? You're never apart from the ever-present, life-giving, providing, gracious, merciful, loving God. You're never apart from him any longer. Because before, before they had to build a tent so that God could dwell with them. Guess what, who, what, what the tent is now? You, our bodies, are now the tents in which God dwells in. The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is the same spirit that dwells in you. Come on, church. This tent in the wilderness, it matters to us. It matters to us. Yeah, you find it in the Old Testament, but it matters to us because the whole word matters to us because the whole word matters. Points towards Jesus Christ. Because it shows us our relationship, what our relationship with Jesus is and how it is lived. And it reminds us of the truths that our hearts need to hear, church. Listen, this tabernacle, the tabernacle focuses us on God's holiness. The tabernacle saturates us with God's mercy. The tabernacle directs us how to live. Leviticus 19, chapter 19, verse 1 through 2, it says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I am, I the Lord, your God, am holy. Remember, holy means set apart. He's telling us, be set apart because I, the Lord, your God, am set apart. The tabernacle gives us Refuge in the chaos. It gives us refuge in the chaos. A refuge that we all so desperately need. In Psalm 61, 4, it says, I long to dwell in your tent forever. What tent do you think the psalmist is talking about here? The tent that was, replic- uh, that was there. The tent that now dwells in our hearts. The presence of God. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge In the shelter of your wings. Now more than ever, we need to say, Lord, allow me to be able to dwell in your presence. Let me take refuge, God. Let me take refuge in your tent because I need to be in your presence. Remember, the Israelites, they can come to the outer courtyard. They could come near the presence of God. But remember, they couldn't go all the way in. Regular Israelites, just imagine like us. We couldn't go. Let me put it this way. I'm, let's say I'm the high priest. I, once a year I would be able to go into that holies of holies and be in the very presence of God. But but, you, but, but but the congregation, you guys can come near it, but you couldn't go into it. You can be near him, but you couldn't dwell in him. You can hear him maybe and see him, but you couldn't feel him. They couldn't go all the way in. Only the high priest could. But you want to know the beautiful thing, and that's the whole moral of this, is that Jesus changed that. Jesus changed that. Remember when he's hanging on the cross? This is how I want to make the dots connect. And Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's about to just, it's finished, he says. He says, I give my spirit unto you. And he breathes his last breath. the Bible says that the the, the, the the earth grew dark and and there was a big earthquake and that earthquake caused a temple that temple which was designed to look somewhat to replica to be a replica of of the, of the, the, the tabernacle it had also a a, a, a a inner building that in the inside represented the holy place and and then there was a veil in there that Behind that veil represented the holies of holies. That veil that represented that, 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 that where people could not just, anybody could not just go into the presence of God. It, they needed a representative to go in their behalf to be in the presence of God. Well, while Jesus is hanging on that cross and he says, I give my spirit unto you and he dies and the earth shakes, that temple shook. And you know what happens in that temple? That veil that was there in the tabernacle that is now hanging there, not maybe the exact one, but it exemplified it. It tears right down the middle from the top to the bottom. What did that mean? What did that mean? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Wait a minute. I've got confidence to enter the most holy place. I thought only the high priest could do that. By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the Full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, the the Bible is such a great, amazing book. What we see is written in the beginning of the Bible. We see the real reenactment of it happening in the New Testament. That veil representing Jesus' body. Jesus' body was broken. And now, now see, because not anybody would go into that holies of holies because it was too holy. They needed a representative. But now you can go into that holies of holies. You can go right before the throne room of God, no longer by yourself, no longer with the high priest, but with the high priest of all high priests holding your right hand, walking side by side with Jesus to the very presence of the living God. That's what happens. That's what happened here. So my question to you, church, in this season that we find ourselves living in, listen, that veil is broken. You don't need to go to no priest. You don't need to give your your sins. You don't need to tell anybody nothing to be forgiven. You go to the very one who forgives those sins because the veil has been broken. Whatever it is that you're carrying, Whatever it is that you're processing in your mind, whatever it is that you're worrying about, whatever it is that, you're, that, that is causing you to hurt, listen, the good news is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you can now take it directly to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. The veil is broken. Let's not act like it's not. Let's not act like we need someone else to represent us. Jesus Christ has done it all. We can go to the very presence of God. Who else can do that? What other God would allow you to do that? To go before him and cast your burdens? But he says, cast all your burdens on me. The God that we serve is a great God. The God that we serve is a loving God. The God that we serve is a God that's not too good for us. The God that we serve is not a God that doesn't have time for us. The God that we serve is a God who desires to dwell with us. If we're not feeling the dwelling presence of him, is because we're not entering into that place. Amen. And we need to say, God, take me to that place, to that holy place. By the blood of Jesus Christ, that now I can go before you. Lord, work in my heart. And that's what I want to encourage you today. I wanted to show you that God dwelt with his people in the garden covered last week and how he dwelt in a tent for his people to see and how now because of the work of jesus christ he dwells in our hearts so go go don't be afraid whatever's on your heart whatever's on your mind whatever is casting you down take it to god it doesn't matter how ridiculous it sounds listen God, instead of hearing a perfected word-for-word prayer that you memorize, that you say over and over and over again, God wants to hear your heart. He says, I know this is not my daughter talking. She must have memorized something. She want, he wants to hear you for the way you sound. You know, when you mess up the word sometimes, that's what he wants to hear. Because he knows it's you. Because he knows it's from your heart. Take it to God. Take it to God say, God, I want to be real with you. He says, finally. Finally let him begin to build that relationship with you. He loves you so much that he chose to dwell with you. That's how special you are. The creator of this world, creator of this universe, the one that told the waters how far they can come. He told the stars where to stand, where to stay. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And you can't get that anywhere else. It's all right smart. And let us close our eyes right where we're at. And I continue in the way that I've been ending the sermons, the services the last few months, is teaching, not just myself, but wanting to teach you the importance of going before the throne room of God with a heart of repentance. Right there where you're at, if you're watching at home, close your eyes. I know this is a time where maybe some people start jumping off line because this is the ending No, but you need to hear this. Close your eyes right where you're at. God desires to be with you. God desires to have a relationship with you. God desires to dwell with you. And God has made it possible for that the reality is, if it's not happening in our lives, there's no one to point the finger to but ourselves. Not the pastor, not a leader, not your spouse. It's you. And that's okay. Because if you could recognize that, and you, I want you to take that to God. Say, God, I can do better. You love me so much. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die to shed that blood, to to break that veil so that I can have access to you. God, I have access to you. Forgive me for not running to you. Forgive me for not throwing myself on my knees with my head down, bowing before your throne because you've made it possible. Go before God. Whatever it is, church, talk to him right now. Whatever it is that is, that, that, that is distracting, Whatever it is that is keeping you from being at the feet of Jesus Christ, begin to just repent before the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. Church, we need to get accustomed to not saying, God, I need, but saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry because I've been too lax. God, I'm sorry because I haven't prioritized my time with you. God, I'm sorry because I'm not speaking to you. God, I'm sorry because I'm not reading your word. God, I'm sorry because I'm not staying in community. God, I'm sorry because lately I've been acting like I'm in charge. Get in a custom, church, of just going before God and repenting and asking Him to help you in those areas. Father God, we come before you and we thank you. Let us all just lift our hands, a sign of surrender. Be coming before you, God, and I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you for just for all of the distractions, all of the hiccups, all of the, the things that came last minute, Lord, as we prepared for this service, God, Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father God, because that allowed us to be at your feet. And I pray right now that we would be a church that would listen to your word, Put it on our hearts and apply it in our lives. God, that if anybody got anything out of this message here today, that they would say, I have access to God the Father, let me run to Him. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would build intimate relationships with your people. Lord Jesus Christ, that they would feel you, that they would hear you, that they would sense your direction because you dwell that relate, you desire that relationship with us. Let us fight for it. When we don't feel like it, let us fight for it. Let us not just act like every single day we have just checked off another religious uh, ritual off of our list of praying and reading, God. No, let us desire to do so. Father, that we would not go a day without spending time with you. That every morning we would wake up, we would say, God... I don't want to do nothing today that you are not directing me to do. Show me, direct me, give me clarity. The Lord desires to dwell with his people. The Lord desires a relationship with his people. God is not interested in you just learning about him. He's interested in you having a relationship with him. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. work's already been done, church. The work's already been done. It's on us. The Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It says that we're as close to God as we want to be. How close are you today? How close are you today to God? He says you can be as close as you want. Father, we love you. We pray We worship you. We thank you for what you have done here today. We thank you for speaking into our hearts. We thank you, Father God, Lord, for for bringing things into our minds, Lord, that maybe we need to start adjusting in our lives. Most importantly, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the opportunity to speak to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the creator of all. I pray as we get ready to dismiss today that you would be with your people. Father, that you would direct them to their locations, wherever they need to go. Father, and as they begin the week, Father, that that you would always remind them that you've called us to be holy because you are holy. You've called us to be set apart because you are set apart. Jesus, you told us to be the salt of the earth and the light of this world. You want us to stand out, not blend in. Lord, let that be a reminder to us. We are the hope. We are the agents of change. We are, Father God, your representatives. Help us lead well. Help us live well. Help help us love well. All of this we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Church, now I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you all. And may the Lord keep you. May the light the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you all peace. In Jesus' holy, mighty name. The church of God says amen. Amen, amen and amen. God bless you all. We love you. And we'll see you next week.